Father in heaven, we just gather together today as your body of Christ. And Father, as I looked out there this morning, what a beautiful body of Christ that we have here. You have blessed this place so much. You've put people whose heart's desire is to worship you and to study your word and allow it to become a part of them so that they can live life for you. Father, I just pray that you'll be able to use this broken vessel as part of your service. To serve you and to bring forth your truth. Father, may your Holy Spirit be upon each and every soul that's here today. Allow them to understand what your word's trying to convey. That you love them that you're there, and that you've got the answer for all of the things that's going on in life. And may we learn and apply it, Father, and we just praise you. We put our trust in you and give you all glory and honor in the name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 2021 has wasted no time hitting the ground running, has it? We're already seeing things that we've not seen since the 1776s. We're seeing all kinds of stuff that's happening in our world. No wonder the Lord says, come, follow me. No wonder he says, follow close behind, grab a hold of me, stay close and follow me and be right there with me we want to know that's the invitation how do i do it what's it look like what what do you expect lord what 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 does it mean for me in my life and what we're supposed to do well last week we talked about the following today as i want to talk about what the lord put on my heart this week i was going to go a whole new route and he's no stick close but here's what i want you to share that staying close to me feels like what following me is the words were stand fast stay close be unmoved be unmoved no matter what life throws at you jesus told his disciples you got one mission and that mission is go ye into all the world teach the gospel the good news to every living creature Those who will believe in that message and are baptized and those who will follow me. He said, I will never leave or forsake you until the end of this age. I will not forsake or leave you. And that's a promise. He said, go and make disciples of every nation. You know what a disciple means? A follower. That's what that's all the word disciple means. It means to be a follower. So when he said, come, follow me, he was making disciples. And that's what he wants of us. He wants us to be disciples. He wants us to follow him. And he promised, I will never leave you. And so now we are transitioning into unprecedented times in our world. I can remember going to school. And you had the Pledge of Allegiance. And you would stand there and you would say that I pledge allegiance to the flag 
and to the United States of America, and we add to God the Father who gave us this country, and that he says we want us, we're supposed to be one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I want to ask you something. Are we one nation right now? Are we indivisible right now? This is about as divided as I have ever seen a country. Is there liberty and justice for all? No. No. We are becoming a fractured nation. We are no longer a land of the free, but a land of bondage, I am fearing. And it's getting worse. There's only one way out of this, and that's through the blessings of God the Father. There's only one way. Don't put your trust in any man, in any system. It is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will present the action that's going to be needed, whether it's good or bad. You know, if, if there's enough individuals in this country who are prayer warriors, then God will relent. He says in his word, if, if you will pray and the nation repents, I will stay my hand. But if not, I will continue to shake. Hopefully, praise God, there's enough that are still prayer warriors that God will stay his hand and this country will not slip into the ways of bondage is the best way to turn it, bondage. Right now, we've got so much that's going on. We, there's unrest. There's run, unrest in our highest governments, in our lower governments. Everywhere we look, we're bombarded with the media about this plague and this disease. Uh, there's ideas out everywhere you don't know what to believe, whether it's getting worse, whether it's mutating, what's, what's happening with that. Then they've got this vaccine that's untested, untried, and they're mandating that they want everybody to get it. But what's it going to do? Is it going to even work? We don't know. If this thing is morphing and going into different things, is the one that they designed last year going to keep up with the one this year? Is it like the flu? It's always behind, and it does. you might get 25. We don't know. There are so many unanswered questions going on right now. And is there going to be more lockdowns? Is the supply chain going to keep standing up? I'll make a confession. I, I ain't going to tell you what my wife says about me. She says I, I'm picky about something. But I always thought one of the greatest inventions was toilet paper. And I can guess kind of why then that seemed to be the thing back when this started that everybody hoarded because I guess you all think that too, okay? I'm not by myself on this. But I got a favorite brand. Once, maybe a month, six weeks, that brand is there. It hadn't been there for about six weeks. And this week, we're going through Walmart and there was a box, one box with like five of the packets in it we was like it's there <laughs> we're taking two <laughs> i'll leave three because you ain't seen it in six weeks is that what's going to happen is the supply chain going to come back or is it going to falter off i don't know 
But guess who's in charge? The Lord God is, isn't he? So we're going to just have to put our trust in him. All of these things are adding to a life that was already stressful to begin with, wasn't it? Everyday life was already stressful. I didn't need to worry about all that kind of stuff. But it just seems like all of the apprehension, all of the things are coming in like a fog. Have you ever seen in the morning that thick fog that just creeps and keeps coming in? You know what handles the fog? You know what gets rid of the fog? The sun. The the sun does. And it's light. It's time that the light of God comes upon this fog that's encroaching upon our country and upon our way of life and upon our freedoms to be able to worship and to enjoy what we're doing today in worshiping God. So what the Lord wants us to do, what his word demands, I told you those words that he gave us was like stand fast and unmovable. Paul put it like this in, in the New Testament. It, there's, there's four or five scriptures here. We're in 1 Corinthians 16. That's the last chapter. He's summing everything up. And I want you to know the Corinthians had problems. They had a lot of problems going on in Corinth. And they were in a world that's much tougher than ours is today. And he says as he closes out, here's what he wanted them to know. He said, watch. Stand fast in your faith. Be brave be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Is that not some good guidance for us right now? Be brave, be strong, be watchful, and make sure whatever you do, you do it in love. How about to the Philippians as he's getting ready to close their chapter out? Therefore, my beloved and my longed-for brethren, you are my joy and my crown. So I want you to stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I want you to stand fast in the Lord. You see how there's a pattern? I always tell you about these patterns. There's a pattern going on. You got problems? Stand fast. Don't be moved. It says there in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 7 and 8, Therefore, brethren, in all of our afflictions, in all of these troubles, in all of your distress, we were comforted because of your faith. And now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. You know what? It's time that America got back to living and standing fast in the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Second Corinthians chapter 2. You know why we've been called? We've been called by the gospel for a purpose. And whenever there's a word for, that's a purpose clause. It means it's for a reason. Why were we called according to the gospel? It was so that we can obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, we ought to be happy, oughtn't we? We ought to be joyful. We ought to be living like he said. He says, therefore, brethren... Because you have been called to obtain the glory of God through our Lord Jesus Christ, stand fast in him and in his word and in our epistles that we wrote to. And then our last one there in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord. Don't get hung up on stuff, but keep moving and doing the works of the Lord because you are working for his business. 
knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast, unmovable, keep going. There are other really good examples. You know, whenever I hear anything like this and you say, okay, what's that mean? I get the idea that you're saying stand fast, be unmovable, that that's what the word of God tells me to do, to be joyful, to continue in the work of the Lord. But can you give me an example of somebody who did that and how they did it? And I say, yeah, the Bible's full of them. It's full of examples of that. I could, I could look at Paul right here. You know how many things he went through and he's writing this, stay steadfast. I mean, he's got one chapter in there where he writes and he tells about everything that happened to him and I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, I've been scourged, I've been stoned and left for dead. I've, I've been left in the sea adrift for night and day. I've had famine, I've been cold, I've been hot. And he says, I've learned, therefore, in whatever state I am in, to be content. Lord, help me to be like that. Thermostat goes down a little bit, and we complain. Throw another log on the fire. Get caught out in the rain, we complain. Not any toilet paper in there that I like, I complain. He said, you ain't had nothing like me, and yet you complain. I've learned to be content. How do I do that? I could go to Paul. I could go to Moses. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Moses? He, he traded, it says in Hebrews. He traded the palace of Egypt. That would be like trading growing up in the White House. He traded the palace of Egypt to suffer with the people of God. And he spent 40 years in preparation in Midian herding sheep and goats for his father-in-law Jethro. And then he spent 40 years wandering in a wilderness with a stiff-necked group of people who always wanted to stone him. But you know who I go to for an illustration most of the time? Seven times out of five, I'm going to go to my man David. Because I love reading about David. You know why? Because he's like me. He's like what, what Job says in that book. said, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. I should have got some amens here. I'm going to say it again. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Amen. Amen. That's right. And that's David and that's me. David was always in trouble, always doing something. But what God loved so much about David was when David was in trouble, when David made bad decisions, when David made mistakes, he always came back with a penitent heart to God, and he never let go. And so I want to see what a man like that does what's his advice for me because I am just like him in so many ways and so I'm going to go to David and you know Paul's mantra was stand fast be steadfast remember all those scriptures we just had a moment ago you know what David's mantra was you know what his 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 uh his word was that was like that you know we've wrote a Christian warrior marching song and speaking of warrior I want to let everyone know that our warrior in the back, Mr. Ron Atkinson passed away this week. 
And so be in prayer for Ron's family. Ron's with the Lord, and, but, but his family needs your prayers. But that man's with the Lord, and I used to call him a warrior. And one of my favorite things to do was whenever that song starts and I go out there to be able to say hi to y'all, I'd slip around behind him there and I'd grab him and start, start singing in his ear. He never told me, quit, you sing bad. But, but I always told him, said, man, you're a warrior. And I'd give him a big hug because he was. Well, David's a warrior. David was a warrior for God too. And you know what his, instead of steadfast, what his word was? How about this song that we sing nowadays? You ever heard this one? If you do, you can chant it out. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Just like the tree that's planted by the waters. I shall not be moved. That was David's battle cry. That is what I need for my life. How did you do it, David? Well, let's take a look. Psalm 16. Mark Psalm 16 because in the end we're coming back to it, okay? Psalm 16. There's about 10, 12 psalms that David says, I shall not be moved in it. And we're going to come back and explain this one because this one holds the secret for us. But I just want to read it to start off, and then after we learn about David, then we're going to come back to it. Psalm 16, verse 7 and 8. David writes there, and he says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. You want to know how to act? Go to the Word of God. There's your counsel for everything that you need in life. And he says, He gave me counsel. My heart also instructs me through that Word in the night seasons. Whenever you're laying there in the night, and you're tossing and turning, and there's problems, and there's things going on. He said, the Lord has worked on me. He's given me counsel, and I chew on that in the night seasons in my heart. And here's what I do. I set the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. What blessed words these are for us, isn't it? Whenever we're going to have these things in life and these things that we can't anticipate that might get thrown at us here soon, all the spiritual battles that we're going to get ready to fight, we've got to have this. I will set the Lord before me. He will always be near and I shall not be moved when I do that. Now, turn to me. Keep that one marked. We're going to come back in a while. Might be a while. Way we're going. But Psalm 121, we're going to stay close to in here in the middle of the Bible. Psalm 121, I want you to go there. Here's one that's a psalm of help to those who are seeking the Lord and seeking answers, seeking that counsel like he just wrote about. And it says in Psalm 121, I'm going to read the whole thing. It's only eight verses. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. I think this one's the only one that was eight verses. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Why? Because I'm trying to see from whence my help is a coming. My help comes from the Lord. Amen. And who made the heavens and the earth? That means he's powerful and he's got the ability to be my help. He will not allow what? 
my foot to be moved. I shall not be moved. You know what that word moved means? That means to slip, to fall, to teeter, to totter. I will not slip. I will not fall. I will not slide. I will not be moved. He can you get any stronger than this? The Lord that made heaven and the earth is my help. He will not allow it. A lot of people's going to tell you that you're going to fail, that you're going to fall, that something's going to happen. Who are you going to listen to? I'm going to listen to the Lord God who says, I will not allow your foot to be moved. You're not going to slip, slide away like Paul Simon used to say. Slip, sliding away. You remember that one? Lord says, you will not be moved. He, what a promise. Look at this next one. He who keeps you does not slumber or sleep. That means 24-7, he is watching over you and not allowing your foot to slide. Behold, he who keeps Israel, and today you put in there, he who keeps the church, he who keeps us, shall neither slumber or sleep. The Lord is your keeper. He is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor shall the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from just a little bit of trouble. Is that what you read there? What do you read? All evil. So then what do I have to be afraid of, really? Do I believe it or not? Do I believe these, these promises of God? I will keep you from all evil. I will not allow your foot to slide. I am your keeper, behold. From whence comes your help? From me. The sun. Oh, it's not going to burn you. It's going to burn some folks. You read book of Revelation, you start going through there and see where it's going to come and people are going to get scorched and their tongues are going to be sticking to the roof of their mouth and with the flame and the heat that's going to be coming when that radiation's hitting them. And he says, I'm your shield, I'm your keeper, and I will protect you from the sun. And when it comes upon the other folks that don't know me, they're going to look and see that you're in the shade because I protect you. And at night when the moon's out, that's when evil tries to come out and that's when darkness hits. I'm also going to be there for you then. It's not going to affect you either when they devise their schemes against you. He, oh, how beautiful. How many of you can here? How many of you can some things? And, and you also buy your canned goods at the store. You, you buy strawberry preserves, right? You, you, or, or some kind of thing like that. You know what it means to preserve? That means... If you pick it, it's going to rot pretty soon. But if you do this, it preserves it. And you can wait a year or two and then open it up still good, right? The Lord said, through it all, I preserve you. I preserve your soul. I preserve you when you go out. I preserve you when you go in. That means anywhere I'm at, I am taking care of you from only when you're good, right? Only when you're seeking me only when you're praying will i do this right now what what's your bible say from this time forth even 
forevermore. Is that psalm right there not one that I need to read every day? I need that one every day to remind me who is keeping me, who's preserving me, who is my help and my shield, and he is preserving my soul, my going in, my going out, and I will not be moved if I allow that to happen. And I want you to know something. These are all promises from our God who cannot go back on them. We got to take them to heart. We got to believe in them. Now, all of these psalms were written from experiences that David and other people had. A few of them weren't by David. Most are. But all of these have true life experiences like you and I live every day and what we go through every day. These experiences he was having and he was writing through the influence of the Holy Spirit then the reflections of what he had from that experience to us so that it will edify and help us in everything that we do. So now, since we're going to, to look at my man David that I love so much, turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel. I'm going to be starting in about chapter 12. I want you to see just one real life example i didn't put the scriptures up today i hope you've got a bible if you need one grab one raise your hand we'll go get you one we'll take the time if you're wanting to follow along but we're going to go from like chapter 12 to chapter 18 and i want you to read the whole thing this week to be able to catch the glimpse this is one small snippet in the life of this man no one went through the things of life other than our lord jesus christ that David did as a human, I can tell you. He went through everything. He had betrayal. He had slander. He had, you name it, he had a fractured family. He had everything going on besides his own bad decisions and sins and things that came about from that. By this time in 2 Samuel chapter 12, if you're turning there, his life has already been in a spiral. He's proverbially hip bottom kind of you would think he's he's been going through some rough spots he's very depressed at this time and yes David had a couple of bouts of that one of them was the time that he was staying at home when men should be at war it says and he was staying at home and he was in the middle of the day almost at evening time he was just waking up in his pajamas and looking out and saw Bathsheba taking a bath out there he was in depression he was in denial and it cost him a lot. He said, I, I've got to get away from this. I've got to pick it up. Well, here's another time. He's, he's in uh, a spiral. He should be out with the battle again. You can always tell when David is having a downtime because he's not out with the battle. He's not out with the men on the field. He's at home sulking. And here's, here's Joab, his general. Man, Joab's a guy you don't mess with. We're going to find out just a small portion about Joab here in a minute. But Joab is out there fighting the battle, and he's made a strategic uh, move. He's captured the water supply. He's taken and surrounded the city. He's got him on the ropes. And he sends word back, and he says, You go tell David. You go tell him to get his tail out here, get some men together, and come and finish the battle because if he wants credit for it. Because if not, I'm going to do it, and they're going to say Joab took the city, and Joab, and then it's going to start some stuff in town. I don't want that. Tell him to get out here. 
So David heeds to those words and he gathers up some men of Israel and some warriors and he goes out there and they take the battle. The battle rages on and they take it and they're victors and they start going through the spoil. They said that they took the crown off of the king of Ammon's head and they put it on David and it says there that it it weighed a talent of gold. I looked up what a talent of gold was at the time of David. You get some variations. I got anywhere from 33 to 100 pounds. But it ended up, most of them say that it's roughly 75 pounds. Can you imagine a crown that was 75 pounds of gold? How do your head support that, man? You know, no, no wonder... It, it would stub your neck right down on your head trying to support 75 pounds. And then it says that it was all kind of precious stones in it and everything. What a jewel. He was victorious. Then they, the, the city, they took all of the spoil and, the, and it was rich and they, they enjoyed all of that. And so as they're marching back, you turn the chapter, you, you see that all that spoil and all that happened and they were victorious And then as you turn into chapter 13, it goes on, and then it says this. After this, after that battle, and after David takes that huge crown, it says, after this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister, and her name was Tamar. Now, Absalom and Tamar, we've got to set the stage here because this this is some fractured stuff going on. Absalom and Tamar were born unto David by a wife whose name was Ma'akah. She was one of the women that was given to David in marriage by one of the surrounding kings. The king gave her to be his wife. And the reason they did that, if you'll look, folks are doing that still today. I just found out last week that one of our head senators was married to a lady who is the daughter i think or sister or something to the chairman of china crazy isn't it we still do the same things today so what it is what they would do the king would recognize that david's on the throne and he's a valiant warrior and we don't want to mess with him we don't want problems so if i give him my daughter to influence him then she will be the bug in his ear to keep him from attacking me if if I'd make a mistake or if things go bad, it'll help ease tensions. He won't be likely to attack me if my daughter is married to him. So that's like your insurance policy. So Absalom and Tamar belong to this mother of that. But then there's another one. Absalom is described in the word of God as the most handsome man in the kingdom. Can you imagine? He was the most handsome Man in the kingdom. And then his sister, it says, was beautiful as well. She was lovely. So here you got two of the finest looking people in the entire nation. But David's got another son. His name is Amnon. And he was born of David's second wife, Ahinoam. She was from Jezreel, another country. So as things are going on, And I've shuffled my papers, so I'm just going to have to go from memory what we've studied this week. So what happens is you've got Tamar, you've got Absalom, brother and sister, and you've got 
Amnon from a different mother, but same dad in David. These are all the king's people, but different families. Now, this uh, Amnon, he's getting sick, getting thin by the day. You know why? Because he's got a crush on Tamar. He's got a crush on Tamar, his half-sister, because she's so beautiful, and he can't get it out of his mind. And it's working on him, and it's eating on him, and it's actually making him physically sick, and he's, he's thinning down. And he's got a cousin that comes to him, and he says, and his cousin's name is Jonadab. And Jonadab comes to him and says, hey, dude, why is the king's son, with all the vittles and everything that you've got, how are you getting thinner and thinner by day? What's up, dude? And he says, well, no. And he goes, no, what's up? Something's up. And he goes, well, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Oh, the word of God says that Jonadab was a crafty young man. Note to self. The Lord is my counsel, David said in the previous psalm. Don't take counsel from crafty men because this crafty man says, I got a plan. I got a plan for you on how that you can get your sister. And here's what you're going to do. What I want you to do is to act like you're really sick. I mean, you can't get out of bed. Get the attention of your dad. And so that David will come and to say what's going on because David's busy. He's running the kingdom. He's got things to do. He's going places. He if there's one big fault with David, it was as a parent because he had so many other responsibilities in life that he did not know what was going on in his household. And if something happened, he was quick to come and say, what, what's the problem? Okay, pat you on the head and go off and think I've solved that one and I, I just move on. So he says, call your dad. Act like you're super sick so that he will want to come and to visit you and when it does, tell him, say, oh, I need some victuals. And, boy, I'd really love for my, my sister Tamar to come and, and bake some bread. And I, I'd, I'd like to be able to watch her to make it and then have her to feed me from her own hand. He says, hmm, that's a pretty good plan. So he fakes like he's that sick. And he's laying in bed. And David comes and visits him. He says, what's up, Amnon, my son? And he said, Oh, man, I'm very sick. I'm weak. I, need, I do need a little bit of bite of bread, though. Could you please have my, my sister Tamar come and to bake me some cakes in here in my kitchen and, and feed it to me? Really? He goes, yeah. So he says, well, okay, I guess so then. You don't want no one else? No, just I want that. He fell for it. David did it. He's like, okay, I patted his head. I'm moving on. Tell, somebody tell Tamar to go take care of him. So it says that Tamar comes, and she gets in, in there, and she bakes the cake. She makes the cake, and she bakes it. And as she's getting ready, he orders everyone out of the room. He says, I want everyone else to leave. Just leave. I just want to watch her. So she makes the cakes, and he says, now, sister, when she was done, she was just saying, okay, here's your stuff. He says, no, I want to eat it from your hand. I want you to feed me. So she comes over, and whenever she starts to bring down the piece of bread, he grabs her. And he pulls her in and he says, my sister, I want you to lie with me. She says, no, no, Amnon, it shall not be in all of Israel. We shouldn't do that. Please don't. And don't do this disgrace to me. I will have nowhere to hide. Everyone will know because we're the king's children. But 
You will be like the fool of Israel. It, you will be talked about. Don't do this. David is such a man that if you asked for him, you asked him for my hand, he would give it. He won't withhold it from you. Do it that way, but don't do this evil upon the land. He refused to listen to that counsel. He listened to the counsel of the crafty. And being the stronger one, it says that he forced himself upon her. Then I want you to know what happened after that. You know what happened after that? You know how much he had thought of her and it wasted him away to nothing because it was that pressing? The word of God says that as soon as the act was over, that the hatred that boiled up inside of him for her was more, it was greater than the love that he thought that he had had for her before that. The hatred boiled up inside of him and he just told her, get out, get out of here. And she, she pleaded with him. She said, no, Amnon, you, you've already done this, but don't make it even worse by sending me away. I'll be desolate in the land. And he said, I said, get. And he called for his servants. And he said, take her and remove her from my presence. And they took her out. And she was out. And she started weeping and put ashes upon her. And she was mourning. And here comes Absalom, her brother. And Absalom walks up beside of her. And you know what he says? Anybody there? What Absalom says is, Tamar, has Amnon been near you? He knew which way the creek was a-flowing, didn't he? He knew what had been happening and what was going on, but David didn't have no idea because he was busy. He just put the bandage on it and said, let's go. But Absalom knew. Now, you talk about crafty. I want to tell you about Absalom. Not only was he the most handsome man in the kingdom, but Absalom was a pretty smart man as well. And the word of God says, that he didn't say anything about Amnon. He told her, he said, my sister, don't say a word. Don't tell nobody. I'm going to take you into my house. And she remained there. And he put her in his house. And the word of God says that he did not say a good word or a bad word. He didn't speak a word at all about his brother Amnon. But that was working on him. And he was waiting for the perfect time. And it says two full years went by. And at two full years, it was time for the sheep shearing. You know, David was a shepherd. He's got his sons being shepherd and taking care of the flocks of Israel. And so uh, he, Absalom now goes to his father. And he says, hey, Dad, I want you to come out to the sheep shearing with me. Let's come out. You know, old times, you used to be a shepherd. David's busy. I think he knew what the answer was going to be. Because he knows dad, he's probably tried this before. Dad's always busy. Dad's got the kingdom. He's got wars. He's got fights. He's dealing with people. So dad, come with me. He goes, no, I ain't got time. I, I don't have time. I'm too busy. He said, well, I want someone to go with me. How about my brother Amnon? He said, well, you want Amnon to go? He said, well, I need somebody to go with me. David said, uh, well, take all the brothers then. It'd be a good experience for all of them. Just take all your brothers with you, Amnon and all of them. He said, okay. So they get out there to the sheep shearing business and Absalom goes to his servants, his trusted men that's 
around him. And he said, hey, guys, come here. Because we're going to have a party. And whenever we get into this party and Amnon gets merry with wine, when his heart is merry with mine, wine, I'm going to give you the word and I want you to fall upon him and kill him. He said, what? He goes, yeah, I've commanded it, so you do it. It's, it's on me. So about the time O Amnon gets merry in his heart with wine, he goes, servants, kill him. And it says that they went and they thrusted him through and they killed him on the spot. And all of the other brothers went riding off on their mules and Absalom went on his as well and they all took off a running. And one of the messengers comes back to David's house. And they told David, the first message that came back says, Absalom has killed all of your sons. And he hits the ground and he's weeping. And then Jonadab, you remember him? The crafty guy that set this whole thing up? Jonadab comes to him and says, huh, don't weep the king because it wasn't just uh, all of your, your sons who were dead, but it was only Amnon. You see, it was revenge served code. And it was revenge. David had been oblivious to the whole thing. But now, look at everything that's going on in his life. You've got all of the different things of the kingdom and the world. And you've got different families. And now you've got murders. And you've had the, the rape and the different things. You, how do you handle some of these things that's going on? Well, you think it's hit rock bottom again, right? But no, it gets worse. It's going to keep going. He loved Absalom. Absalom was one of his favorite sons. He loved him dearly. Well, but he didn't reach out to him. Throughout this whole thing, we don't see anything. It's like whenever it happened, whenever that happened with Amnon and Tamar, the only quote in the word of God was, when David heard of it, he became angry. I don't see where it says David went and reached out to all of them and tried to make amends, tried to comfort, tried to help. All it says was he became angry. And it was over. That was it. So now you've got one, one dead. One has ran off. He goes and spends a couple of years over in another country with some, some other relations. David's not reaching out to him, not saying, son, let's talk, let's, let's do this. Nothing that we're hearing of anyway in the word of God. So after a while, Absalom gets upset and he says, I'm going to go back and see if anything happens, see if I get talked to, see what's going on. And he comes back and there's still no word. He's ignored. And so he starts standing in the gate of Jerusalem every day. And you know what he starts becoming? A pop. Excuse me, a politician. It was even hard to say. <laughs> it was hard to say. It choked me up. He's, he became a politician. He started going out to the gate and saying, hey, what's going on in your life? Really? I'll bet that's my father's fault. I bet he put too much taxes on you, didn't he? Well, if I was in place of him, I wouldn't have done that. and You wouldn't be in that shape. And he started doing that. And for four years, he stood at the gate and he talked to all the people and started bugging their ears. If it was me, I would have done this. If I was your king, I would do this. Still no word from dad. So you know what he does? He says, I'm taking charge. 
I have turned the hearts of most of these people towards me. The polls say they want me to be king. And so I am just claiming kingship. And so he claimed kingship and he started, he'd been working on all of David's cabinet men too. Ahithophel was his most valued counselor and man that was in his cabinet. It says that his advice was spot on both to David and to Absalom. This was the top advisor that he had. And he coerced him to come to his side and turn coat onto his father. Things haven't changed in 2,900 years, by the way. So we've got this, and now he says, I'm king. Guess what happens next? David goes running. Instead of meeting up with his son again, he goes running. And he starts running throughout all the places, and he's running. So now you've got this insurrection, and you've got betrayal, and you've got every from your son and all of your officers, and you've got everything like this going on in your life. And to make matters worse, there's a little guy, as you're, as you're running and walking, there's a little guy that comes out and starts throwing rocks at David. This, this is Shimei. And if you don't know who Shimei is, he's a distant relative of old King Saul. And he's out there, and David is on the run and on the loose, and everybody's heard what's going on with his son and all of the problems in the kingdom. And so this guy, when he sees their contingent coming out, he comes out with rocks, and he starts throwing them. And he says, oh, you rogue, oh, you bloodthirsty guy, don't you know God's bringing everything back down on your head? You know what you did to my relative Saul, and the kingdom went over to you? Well, God's doing it back to you. There you go. It, it's coming back around. What comes around, it goes around, David. So here, and he starts throwing rocks at him. And the servants around him's like, you want us to go take care of this fool? David's going, no, no. I, I don't want you to, to do that. Um, we, we've got other things. There's no need to do that to him. One day we're going to talk about this in depth. We'll, we're not on this one today, but one day we're going to use this as, to being thoughtful and not taking out something on those who are misusing you and slandering you. You remember how we're supposed to be good to them and even pray for them? Yeah, David lets it go. He says, no, don't do it. Let's keep walking. And they keep on walking. And then all of a sudden things come to a boil and to a head and the armies get together. David's army says, we've got to protect you. And I'm telling you what, Joab is a mean motor scooter. You don't want to mess with him. We're going to talk about him one day too. He's another character in the Bible you've got to know about. But Joab is a mean motor scooter, and he's David's number one general. And they're fighting, and he says, we're, our army is facing up now with Absalom's. Let's go get them. David says, I want to go into the battle. And they all say, no, no, you're worth a thousand, ten thousand of us. You can't go. Something might happen to you. You got to stay back, David. We will go. And there was three generals, three battalion leaders. And he said, no, we will go. You stay back. And you know why David wanted to go? He gave the order then. Well, if I'm not going, then I want you to treat Absalom gently. I don't want you to harm the young man. You see, that's why the whole reason for him going is because he loved him, but he didn't know how to communicate to him. He didn't know how to communicate, so he never got the communication there. But he said, be gentle with him. I don't want no harm coming to him. The battle was fierce. 
It says it was throughout all the fields. 20,000 men of Israel died because what had started out with the conniving counsel of Jonadab to Amnon. And 20,000 men died on the battlefield that day for something that wasn't their battle. During the battle, when it got heated up, it says that, that Absalom was fleeting away on his mule through the forest of Ephraim. And he comes through the forest, and you remember we was talking about how he was the most handsome man in the kingdom? Well, if you go back a couple chapters, you're going to find out that not only was he the most handsome, and that he was perfect, it says the word of God, from the sole of his feet to the top of his head, it also says that his hair was like his crown. And his hair was like mine. It grew so fast and was so thick and lush that he would cut it once a year and it weighed so many shekels. I see, what are you all laughing at? His hair was like mine and weighed all this kind of stuff. And they would sell it and people wanted it and everything. And once a year, man, can you imagine that? I mean, this was one fabulous dude, like Fabio probably, you know, that, that long hair. Well, here he is riding on that mule away from there. And it says that as he's doing that, that his hair got entangled in the branches of a tree. The messenger came back to Joab describing him like this. He's swinging and hanging between heaven and earth. He's hanging there by that hair. I'm glad now I don't got here. You all are laughing. I'm glad now. I ain't going to be hanging from no tamarisk tree in the forest of Ephraim. <laughs> it might bust that and I might bleed a little bit, but I ain't going to be hanging there. But he, he's hanging there. And Joab said, what would you do to him? He said, I didn't do nothing to him. He said, you had the leader of the insurrection right there in front of you and you didn't do nothing to him? Why not? He goes, whoo. I know about David, and we'll have to do those stories a time or two, too, coming up, because I just love his stories. But David, there's been a couple of times that, like, when King Saul uh, was in the war and he died, well, he had fell on his, on his spear, but he wasn't dead. And so when this one guy came through and Saul told him, says, they're about ready to come and get me, so I don't want to die in their hands. You go ahead and slay me. I don't want them to torture me because my life's still within me, but I can't do nothing with this stuck in me. And so that man did that and took his crown and took his bracelet, and he went back and he told David, and he said, I found Saul, and, and he's dead, and here's his stuff. And he says, how do you know what all happened? And he told him what happened. He goes, they mourned all day, and then that night he goes, son, why do you think that you had the right to extend your hand against the king that was anointed by God of this country? Stab him. And they fell upon that man. So this little messenger saying whenever it come back, he said, I heard David tell all of you leaders, treat him gently and don't do nothing with him. And I know what happens whenever someone extends their hand on someone that David said don't do it. So I am not touching him. Joab is not that kind of man. I told you, he's a bad motor scooter. So Joab says, I ain't got time for you then. And he gets up and it says that he goes over to where that tamarisk tree is. And it says he took three of his own spears and he rushed them through the heart of Absalom as he hung by his hair in the tree. 
And then ten of Joab's warriors were surrounding him. He said, finish him off. And they did. And they buried him. And word come back to David on what Joab had done. And David mourned. Rock bottom. Absalom, Absalom, oh Absalom. I wished that it was me instead of you. Now we turn to the Psalms. Because how do you handle those things in life? We have all of these kind of problems. What, what do you do? Remember, stand fast. Follow me. Let me have it. Psalm 46. The application is I shall not be moved. No matter what happens. No matter what goes on. I shall not be moved. Listen to this. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. You know what that means? Anytime you're in trouble, he's right there. He's very present. I mean, he's already there. You don't have to worry about turning to him or calling to him. He's already there. He's already with you. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea and though the waters would roar and be troubled and the mountains shake with their swelling, Selah. You all remember what Selah is? Rest, trust. That's like the musical rest whenever the drum solo takes over. You know, whenever, that means the singing stops, the praying, you rest in God. So Selah means rest in God with what was just said. So God is my very present help in a time of need. I will not fear. And I want you to know that these are physical descriptions of a spiritual nature. That when it says that the mountains, those represent strength. Okay. Though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. So something's overpowering the power. Though the waters roar, you know the waters represents like the peoples. Water represents peoples. And so it says, though the waters would roar. And was not Absalom and all those people roaring at him? Was not everything, just like what's going on in the world today? Everything's roaring. Do not, everything is troubled. But though the mountains would shake with their swelling, you see the powers that are in power think that they're strong and that swelling, the word for it is pride. And though their pride raises up and though they think that they are going to overthrow by their might and their power and their pride is getting there and they're doing their roaring, he says, rest in God. Because why? Verse 4, there's a river. Here we go. Here's a river whose streams will make glad the city of God. That's you. We, We are the city of God. We are his people. Whenever the nations, whenever the waters are roaring and they swell up with pride and they're swelling up with their power that they're over you, he said that I know that there's a river that streams are going to make glad the city of God the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. Where does the tabernacle reside today? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the living God? 
The Holy Spirit resides in you and his water. What's the Holy Spirit? Jesus said whenever he comes, it'll be like living water that flows and gushes out from you. There's a river whose streams make glad your city and the holy place, the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. We will not be moved. Though the nations roar, though the people attack, though their pride swells up and they look down and says, we're in charge. I've got a river that flows through my city and my God is in the midst of her and he says, you will not be moved. God is in the midst of her and I will be there and help you at the break of dawn. Just whenever the night seems the darkest and things seem the downest, I will be there then and be your help. The nations can rage. The kingdoms are moved. <laughs> what are we? I shall what? Not be moved. They're going to be what? Moved. They're going to slip and fall and teeter and totter down. Because why? He utters his voice and the earth can melt. He can utter just his voice and the earth melts. Notice the contrast between the people of God and the proud people of the world. Oh, I want to be like that. How do I do that? Okay, did you mark Psalm 16? Go back to Psalm 16 as we get ready to close here. Psalm 16. Told you we'd be back. We came all of this and seen the trials in life that, that he had. And we see where our help is coming from, but I want you to know how he does it. This is what we got to take home with us today, okay? Verse 6, Psalm 16. The lines are fallen unto me in my pleasant places. Yea, I've got a goodly heritage in the Lord. So I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins and my heart are also instructing through that in the night season. Now, listen to this. Here is the quality trait of the unmoved. I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. As our worship team comes up and prepares to close us out, I, I want to share with you exactly what that means because this is the most important one. I almost brought a contractor level in y'all know level right you know i i once went to a meeting of christians who were called full bubble because they're a full bubble off of the norm in the level and that's good because that means we're in god's bubble okay but you know that level johnny that you put out there on that board you're trying to get the bubble right in the center of that line aren't you that's what this word set means the word set, I have set the Lord before me. So what's my bubble? What's my center line? The Lord. I have set the Lord before me always as my bubble. And the word means to adjust. If things get a little high this way, I got to adjust, get it back in the bubble. Things get down a little low this way, I got to bring it up and get it back in the bubble. Whichever way my life seems to be hidden, I've got to get it back centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got to keep that center line, and my life is always adjusting, trying to keep the bubble centered. 
no matter what's raging around me. He said, here is the secret to not being moved is you keep focused. Remember Peter getting out on the water. He was walking on the water, Ray Ray, until he took his eyes off and saw the storm around. That's when you get out of bubble. That's when you're a full bubble off and everything's out of kilter. He says, you've got to bring the level back to center and keep Christ, keep focused on him, keep focused on the word and keep your life centered in him. Now look what else he says. I have set the Lord always before me because. So why would you want to do that? Why do you want to keep that level going and adjusting and keep him centered in you before you? Oh, that word before me. Neged is the word. Neged. Um, how many have, have taken pictures with the old 35 millimeters or with the um, Polaroids and you're sitting there and the little thing spits out and you're going, we got to wait 60 seconds. You remember all that? We got to wait 60 seconds. Oh, I think we've waited long enough. Now let's pull that thing off. You know what the other side of it is? You know what the roll is that you take out of your camera to go get developed? It's called a what? That's this word, neged. So whenever I have kept the Lord always before me, when I've set him, when my bubble is set, and he is before me, what that means is he is my negative. We are in the picture, and my life is supposed to be representing his. And so he is my negative, and he is sitting face to face with me at my right hand. I can reach out, and we are touching and shaking hands because he is my negative. He is the opposite of me, and my bubble is set on him, and we're together. And because I've done that, and he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. So brothers and sisters in Christ, that is the message that the Holy Spirit wants to impart to us today. We've got, this, we've got trials, we've got the problems, we've got the things going on, we've got the uncertainties, we've got the waters raging. But he says, look at everything I went through and I want to share with you how you overcome that. You keep the Lord set. Full bubble center right there. As your negative looking right back at you. And that means he's watching me. He's watching over me. He says, I see. I don't slumber or sleep. That means he's watching over everything I do too. So that keeps me in line. It keeps me making good decisions and not bad decisions. But it means that whenever those that are around about me. They can't get to me because I am your shield. You keep that. And because he is centered, I am centered on him and he is at my right hand. He says, I will not allow your feet to be moved. You will not slip. You will not slide. You will not shake. You will not fall or teeter. Praise God. Father in heaven, we cannot thank you enough for your word and the love that you have poured out in it and that you have allowed men like David and Moses and your Lord to come and to set examples so that a wretch like me can look at it and have hope and can take it and say, what is your secret through all of that? And he says, I have set 
the Lord always before me. And because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful illustration in your word of how we also in this life shall not be moved, but we ask for your help. We're not used to that. Help us to continually try to do that, Father. Help us because it's tough. We're weak and we fall and we're nothing but a bag of bones and a hank of hair. And so, Father, please be with us and help us so that we are not moved and that we follow your Son in Jesus' name. Amen.